Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. turned 18 We lived in a one-room run-down shack on the outskirts of New Orleans We didn't have money for food or rent, to say the least we were hard-pressed Then mama spent every last penny we had to buy me a dancing dress Well mama washed and combed and curled my hair and she painted my eyes and lips Then I stepped into a satin dancing dress I had a split from the side clean up to my ear and welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. If you'd like to send an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. Worldwide, toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. We're going to be talking to Chris Carter this hour. His new book, Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death is what we're going to be talking about. And uh, predating all organized religion, the belief in an afterlife is fundamental to the human experience and dates back at least to the Neanderthals. By the mid-19th century, however, spurred by the progress of science, many people began to question the existence of an afterlife and the doctrine of materialism, which dictates that consciousness is a creation of the brain, began to spread. 
Now armed with scientific evidence, our guest this hour, Chris Carter, challenges materialists' arguments against consciousness surviving death and shows how near-death experiences, which are also known as NDEs, may truly provide a glimpse of an awaiting afterlife. Chris Carter received his undergraduate and master's degrees from the University of Oxford. He's the author of Parapsychology and the Skeptics. Originally from Canada, Chris Carter currently lives in Venezuela. Joining me now is Chris Carter. And Chris, congratulations on another great book. Thanks, Rob. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks, Chris. Uh, you know, where did you, where did you get the interest and the insight and the desire to write a book on science and the near-death experience? Well, this is the second uh, in a series of three books. My first was Parapsychology and the Skeptic, which you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and my second is now Science and the Near-Death Experience. Um, all three books grew out of a lengthy debate that I had with a very stubborn and dogmatic uh, skeptic. I was shocked by his ignorance and by the crudity of his arguments, and so I decided that uh, a book or books were needed to examine the evidence uh, that the mind can function independently of the brain. Now, what do you think the evidence indicates is the actual relationship, Chris, between the mind and the brain? Many people think the mind and the brain are one and the same. No, I don't think the mind and the brain are one and the same. I also don't think that the uh, brain produces the mind. Hmm. I think that on the contrary, the evidence indicates that the brain works as a two-way receiver transmitter, sometimes from body to mind, as in sense perception, and other times from mind to body, as in willed action. Um, the rival hypothesis that the brain produces the mind has quite simply been proven false by the data. What many people do not realize is that there's an awful lot of evidence to this effect, and this evidence is examined in detail in my new book, Science and the Near-Death Experience. Chris, stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. ExoNation, our special guest this hour is Chris Carter. He is the author of Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death, and it's published by our good friends at Inner Traditions, and their website is www.innertraditions.com. 1-800-610-7035 is toll-free worldwide. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. If you'd like to share a near-death experience with us, you can do it by sending an email to exxon at exxonradiotv.com. That's exxon at exxonradiotv.com. And don't forget, the Exxon UFO Reporting Center is now up and running at www.xuforc.com. Chris Carter is my special guest once again. His new book, Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death. We'll be back with me on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, here in the X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Well, I remember it all very well. Looking back, it was the summer I turned 18. We lived in a one-room run-down shack on the outskirts of New Orleans. We didn't have money for food or rent. To say the least, we were hard-pressed. Mama spent every last penny we had to buy me a dancing dress. Well, Mama washed and combed and curled my hair and she painted my eyes and lived. 
Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Chris Carter is our special guest, Exonation. He's the author of Science and the Near-Death Experience, www.scienceandthenearedeathexperience.com. Uh, Chris, before we were talking about the mind and the brain not being one and the same, and where did the concept that they're one and the same come from then? Well, the, um, the doctrine of materialism is ancient. It goes all the way back, to, at least to Democritus and ancient Greece. Um, it's essentially the idea that all events have a physical cause, mm-hmm. and it follows from this that, therefore, the mind is a function of the brain. The, mind produce, the brain produces the mind. Um, this contrasts with dualism, another ancient position, probably even older than materialism, um, which is found in shamanic religions all over the world. And this essentially is the idea that uh, the mind and the brain are two separate entities, um, and the mind can exist independently of the brain. Although, of course, it's closely tied to the, uh, the brain, the operation of the brain in this life. Um, during, uh, shortly after Isaac Newton, um, it was believed that physics supported the ancient doctrine of materialism, that is, that all events had a material cause, because it wasn't really understood how mental events could affect physical events. And so this is where the, the idea started that uh, the old philosophy of materialism somehow has scientific support. As I show in my book, um, the motivation behind this was essentially ideological. It was something peculiar to the West, and it grew out of the historical conflict between science and religion mm-hmm. that's peculiar to the West. And of right. course, in the West, we've had you know, atrocities committed in the name of religion. We've had religious warfare. We've had the Inquisition. You know, we've had uh, people sometimes... Well, we had Galileo threatened uh, with Inquisition and burning at the stake. And so um, this actually gave rise to people such as, well, the French philosophes, Diderot, Voltaire, and the like, 
who basically argued that uh, materialism was scientific, it was supported by class, the physics of the time. Mm -hmm. We now know that this isn't true. And I argue in my book that uh, classical physics is obsolete, it's been replaced with quantum mechanics, and many uh, physicists now believe that uh, quantum mechanics fully implies dualism. Tell me this, Chris. Why are there so many skeptics who are so eager to debunk just not reports of psychic phenomenon, but also psychic, or I shouldn't call it psychic, but also phenomenon such as the near-death experience? Well, as I said before, this is something that's peculiar to Western societies, and it basically has to do with historical conflict in the West between science and religion. Essentially, as I argued in my first book, and as I argue in my second book, Science and the Near-Death Experience, um, this debate is not primarily about evidence. Rather, the debunkers and the deniers are defending an outmoded worldview in which psychic phenomena are simply not allowed to exist. It's essential to realize that most of these deniers and phony skeptics, as I call them, are militant atheists and secular humanists. For various reasons, these people have an ideological agenda which is anti-religious and anti-superstitious. One of the pillars of their opposition to religion and superstition is this doctrine of materialism. Uh, that is, the doctrine that all events have a physical cause, and um, therefore the brain, uh, the brain produces the mind. So mm. if they conceded the existence of psychic abilities, such as telepathy, if they conceded the existence of the near-death experience as a genuine separation of mind from body, then materialism, this pillar of their opposition, to religion and superstition would crumble. So, hence their dogmatic denial of the evidence that uh, proves materialism false. Is the near-death experience similar across different cultures, or is it the same? Um, there's a lot of cross-cultural similarity, actually. I have a whole chapter uh, devoted to exploring the similarities and differences um, of near-death experiences across cultures. I look at reports from China, India, um, from tribal societies such as the Maori, mm -hmm. Maori and the Native American. Um, the main similarities across reports from different cultures appear to be out-of-body experiences and reported encounters with otherworldly realms and their inhabitants. Um, on, the, on the other hand, the life review which is often found in Western near-death experiences, and reports of passing through a tunnel. Those two aspects of Western NDEs appear to be culture-specific. Really? Life reviews, yeah. Life reviews are found in Western Chinese and East Indian experiences. They're not reported in accounts from societies of hunter-gatherers. Any idea why that is, Chris? Um, yeah, some people have speculated. Uh, it's thought that in the West, and also in China and India, were brought up with um, historical religions, religions which have a strong historical context. Mm -hmm. And these, these religions also place a great emphasis on the conscience and our past behavior. And uh, so it's thought that in these cultures we have a tradition of looking back on our lives and saying, well, you know, what have I done? Have I done the right thing? And so forth. Uh, whereas in hunter-gatherer societies, the Maori, the Native American, they don't really have this as an aspect of their culture. Um, when missionaries first arrived uh, in New Zealand, they told the Maori's Christian missionaries 
they told the Maoris, you know, we're all basically sinners and we all need to repent. And the Maoris uh, were indignant. They said, you know, we're all good people. We don't, uh, we don't need to feel guilty about anything. So it's thought that it's because we have this religious tradition which places great emphasis on the actions of the individual. Is, does the scientific community come up with any hypothesis to, to validate claims of near-death experiences, to take it from the, from the paranormal into the realm of reality and science? Oh, yeah. Um, you mean, do the, are you asking me, do the materialists come up with uh, uh, attempted explanations? Yeah. Yes, of course they do. I discuss all of these, all the ones I could find in my book. Um, oh, one, one uh, explanation, which is promoted again and again, is the idea that uh, when blood flow, blood flow to the brain is cut off, mm -hmm. the brain suffers from oxygen deprivation. And so some critics will say that uh, oxygen deprivation can explain the near-death experience. But... Um, the effects of oxygen deprivation on the brain are well known. They've been known for decades. Mountain climbers frequently experience it. Uh, pilots flying at altitude have frequently experienced it. And we know that um, as the brain is deprived of oxygen, it simply ceases to function effectively. As the oxygen supply is reduced, the person becomes progressively more disoriented and confused. And this, of course, is in sharp contrast to the clarity of thought and perception described over and over again mm. in the reports of near-death experiencers. And not only that, but um, here's another example. Pilots in training right. regularly undergo acute oxygen deprivation in flight simulators to make sure that they can get their masks on in time. And those who fail don't have near-death experiences. Mm. They experience confusion, disorientation, and they sometimes try to do things like... Um, landing their simulated planes on the tops of simulated clouds before they pass out. And I also, I'd like to say one more thing sure. about that. I'm just looking at my book here. Sure. Um, I'm just looking here. Yes, we have reports. We have the report of a man who experienced both oxygen deprivation and a near-death experience. He was a man named Alan Pring, and he flew with the British Royal Air Force during the Second World War. While he was flying at high altitude, he experienced... Uh, oxygen deprivation several times. Years later, he had a heart attack and a near-death experience. And here's a quote from Mr. Pring. I found myself floating in a dark tunnel, peacefully and calmly, but widely, wide awake and aware. I know that the tunnel experience has been attributed to the brain being deprived of oxygen. But as an ex-pilot who has experienced lack of oxygen at altitude, I can state that for me there was no similarity. On the contrary, the whole near-death experience from beginning to end was crystal clear and has remained so for the past 15 years. Mm. When people come back from a near-death experience, how has it changed their lives? Well, the effects tend to be profound and long-lasting. They include a greatly increased belief in an afterlife, uh, but other things as well. Increased compassion for others, reduced competitiveness... Generally speaking, the experience seems to make them much nicer people. Is there? Also, is, I was just going to ask. You know, is, is there a correlation between a near-death experience and an out-of-body experience? Are they one and the same? They're not one and the same. Um, 
out-of-body experiences are sometimes reported by people who are nowhere near death, mm-hmm. perhaps as a result of, oh, I don't know. They might be sleeping or uh, what have you. But the out-of-body experience is frequently reported as one of the um, aspects of a classic near-death experience. The, the, aspect, the most commonly reported aspects of a near-death experience are initially feelings of peace, mm-hmm. calm, joy, uh, sometimes the experience of leaving one's body, even observing the surrounding scene, um, passing through a tunnel or a, a, a location of blackness. And in the deepest near-death experiences, people um, emerge from the tunnel into a place of bright light where they sometimes report meeting deceased friends and relatives. Um, sometimes a decision is made to return by the person. Sometimes a decision is simply made for them. But uh, in any case, uh, these people do return, and uh, they usually find themselves back in their bodies and... Uh, Sometimes they're, they regret being brought back. Chris, stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Chris Carter's my guest. We're talking about near-death experiences this hour here in the Exxon. Chris's new book, Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death. It's uh, published by our friends at Inner Traditions. And Chris's website, www.scienceandtheneardeathexperience.com. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide toll-free. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Chris Carter and I return on the other side of the news as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, this is Eric Rawls of Cosmoverse.com, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the Exxon. Hi, this is Blade Runner, and you are listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, I'm Laura Sabrin of Cease to Fields Organic Vineyards in Jordan, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, my name is Lady Ashley, the White Witch of Niagara-on-the-Lake, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal talk radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. 
Chris Carter is our special guest, Exo Nation. He's the author of Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death, www.scienceandtheneardeathexperience.com. We were uh, talking, Chris, before about uh, the the difference between a near-death experience and, and an out-of-body experience. And because so many people that I've talked to in the past who've had the near-death experience talk about their out-of-body experience, and I've, I've always wanted to know if there was a correlation between the two. Um, science has come up, or the skeptics, or whoever they are, have come up with a number of different reasons to explain what they believe to be the the true meaning of the near-death experience. And Chris, after you've done all your all your research, written your book, why is it so important that we accept the near-death experience as real? Hmm. Well, I think that one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves mm-hmm. is what happens after we die? And I honestly think that, uh, as others have pointed out, that the way we live our lives depends to a large extent on what we expect to come after it. I think that uh, a lot of people have lost their faith Mm -hmm. in uh, traditional religions for whatever reason, because, I mean, let's face it, uh, science has shown uh, some of the explanations given traditionally by religion to uh, have been false. But uh, I think it's sort of a... um, unfortunate side effect of that is that people have somehow thought that the only alternative is some bleak form of materialism, that this life is all we have, and uh, we're essentially living in a meaningless, materialistic, uh, mechanistic universe. I don't think that's true, and I think that uh, it's important for people to understand that. What would it mean to religion if we were to unequivocally accept near-death experiences as real? That's an interesting question. Um, We were talking earlier about the effects that Mm -hmm. uh, near-death experiences have on people who experience them. We said that it tends to make them more compassionate, um, more understanding, less competitive. And I I don't think that anybody could possibly argue that these are bad things. It would be bad things for society if people were more compassionate and understanding. Mm -hmm. It also tends to make them... um, more spiritual, but at the same time less religious. Um, I mentioned that, you know, we've had problems in religion, with religion in the West. I mean, we have had wars of religion. We have had religious persecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have the Inquisition. But these, you know, due to the fact that uh, many forms of religion are exclusive. They say that, you know, our side is right and every, anybody who disagrees with us is wrong. This, I think, has led to religious persecution in the West. Because all three of our Western or Middle Eastern religions that came out of the Middle East, they're, exclu- they're exclusive. You know, they say that we're right, and to the extent anybody disagrees with us, you're wrong. And, let, and this has led to persecution, warfare, and so forth. People who have a near-death experience tend to, even people who are religious or, or non-religious, what have you, they tend to become more, how can I put it? Um, Tolerable? Uh, Tolerant? tolerant uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose tolerant. Tolerant of other people's belief systems, I guess. They tend not to think in terms of exclusive beliefs, you know. Um, and as I said before, they tend to be more, um, more spiritual and less religious. Is it possible then, Chris, the near-death experience could actually be looked upon as the Rosetta Stone of life? 
Well, I don't think it's going to uh, <laughs> bring together uh, the entire world or anything like that. I think that it's... Uh, I think that uh, acceptance of the near-death experience as a genuine separation of mind from body and as perhaps a preview for those who have it of what's going to come after this life, um, I think acceptance of that would have beneficial effects upon society. Are there any difference between near-death experience that a child has to the near-death experience of, a, of an adult? Um, they tend to be very similar, actually. Um, both children as well as adults tend to report um, feelings of peace and joy, leaving their bodies, observing the surrounding scene, uh, sometimes traveling through a tunnel. The main difference seems to be that children much less frequently report meeting deceased friends and relatives, which makes sense when you think about it. Mm -hmm. uh, children are far less likely to have known anybody who's, who's died. They sometimes report uh, seeing their deceased grandfather or grandmother, what have you. But more often they repeat, report seeing deceased strangers, or not deceased, say deceased strangers, they report meeting strangers, people they can't really identify, who greet, meet them, look after them. And uh, they more frequently report um, encounters with deceased family pets. What is the duration of the average near-death experience? It's hard to say. Um, in terms of frequency, it seems to be somewhere between 10 and 20% of those who have a cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. But in terms of duration, um, it's hard to say. I would say they vary very greatly. Some perhaps would only last a few seconds. Others would last uh, many minutes. Really? Yeah. Chris Carter is our special guest. He's the author of Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death, www.scienceandtheneardeathexperience.com. When blood flow to the brain is cut off, the brain suffers from oxygen deprivation, as you and I have discussed in the past. You know, and, and some critics say that oxygen deprivation can explain the near-death near experience. We talked about that. But what about seizures? Some critics actually say seizures can explain near-death experiences. Um, well, a seizure, as you probably know, is uh, abnormal electrical activity mm -hmm. in the brain. Um, yeah, some people have tried to say that uh, perhaps people are having seizures when they're uh, near death, and this is uh, explaining near-death experience. Um, some people even try to simulate seizures with electrical stimulation of the temporal lobes. Uh, Michael Persinger, yeah. Persinger has tried to do this. Um, I describe Persinger's research in my book. He, um, his research was dealt a severe blow a few years ago when a Swedish team was unable to replicate his findings, even though they were using uh, exactly the same equipment and doing hmm. things exactly the way he told them to. Um, they thought, they came to the conclusion that... Uh, all his effects were due to the power of suggestion. Wow. Because what they found was they had a control group. They had one group that uh, put on his helmet and had mm -hmm. electrical stimulation of his temporal lobes, and they had another group which basically had the current turned off. What they found was that anyone who was considered highly suggestible by a test they gave them um, reported the effects whether or not the current was on or off. So in other words, the Swedish team was simply unable to replicate his findings and concluded it was all just due to the power of suggestion.
Um, but I can say more than that. Uh, these are these are simulated micro Caesars, I suppose you could call them. I don't think they're, he's actually doing that. I think he's just shocking people's cortex. But at any rate, uh, there's the question: How closely do actual Caesars resemble the near-death experience? Well, I'm just looking through my book here, and I found a quote from a man named Ernest Ernst Roden. He's the medical director of the Epilepsy Center of Michigan, and he's a professor of neurology at Wayne State University. And he wrote this regarding actual seizures. Quote, the hallmarks and components of near-death experiences are a sensation of peace or even bliss, the knowledge of having died, and as a result, being no longer limited to the physical body. In spite of having seen hundreds of patients with temporal lobe seizures during three decades of professional life, I have never come across those symptoms as part of a seizure. Hmm. So I think that says it all. Actual seizures do not resemble near-death experiences at all. What about deathbed visions? Um, do people having near-death experiences report, or have you heard of reports of deathbed visions while researching uh, near-death experiences? Well, in my book, uh, my new book, Science and the Near-Death Experience, part three is devoted to deathbed visions. Um, deathbed visions have been reported, well, since ancient times. Mm -hmm. It's basically the strange experiences that people report on their deathbeds. Um, they report things like, uh, well, very similar to near-death experiences, actually, uh, feelings of joy, uh, reports of meeting with deceased friends and relatives, um, unusual mental clarity. You know, there's none of the uh, confusion associated with oxygen deprivation or dementia. Yeah. So, yeah, um, deathbed visions are very similar to near-death experiences. Tell me something. Yeah. What, in your opinion, does the near-death experience tell us about a possible afterlife? Well... The near-death experience indicates that the mind can, under certain conditions, operate independently of a properly functioning brain. Now, I think that's a very profound conclusion. It means simply that the ancient doctrine of materialism has been proven false. In other words, the near-death experience seems to be a genuine separation of mind from body. Now, this doesn't uh, prove beyond all doubt that we survived death. But the near-death experience and deathbed visions certainly suggest an afterlife. Um, there have been cases of near-death experiences and deathbed visions in which people have reported seeing friends or relatives that they did not even know were dead. Hmm. Usually it's because, well, they just didn't know because of whatever, for whatever reason, but often it's the case that, uh, um, well, in the case of deathbed visions, for instance, the person has been sick, you know, they're dying, and their friends and relatives have simply not told them that, say, their sister or their brother or their uncle or what have you uh, have passed on. So when they report seeing these friends or relatives they had no reason to think were dead, they express genuine surprise. When people have a near-death experience, do they, do they experience any of the... Uh any of the surroundings uh, that our sensory system would normally bring into our into us, uh, for example, smell. Do they do they report temperature? Do they report uh, 
the the smell of flowers, uh, the hearing of voices, music, or is it just more than, or is it more most likely a mental experience instead of the physical? Well, those are interesting questions. The um, two senses that are most commonly reported are the sense of sight mm-hmm. and the sense of hearing. Uh, the other senses are not usually reported. Um, but what's interesting is that the sense of sight and the sense of hearing, especially the sense of sight, is usually reported as being sharpened to an incredible degree. Mm-hmm. One person reported this, this was a man who was whitewater rafting, and he was trapped underneath a waterfall. In other words, he was drowning to death. He felt himself pop out of his body and rise above the water. Uh, he looked around and he was astonished that um, his vision was so incredibly sharp. Uh, things in the distance seemed just as as clear as things that were close up, which of course never happens when we see with our eyes. Right. So these, you know, it suggests that uh, we don't we don't perceive things we don't see and hear because of our eyes and our ears, rather through them. Um, it seems to be this is the way that uh, visually and uh, sound seems to be way seems to be ways that our mind uh, finds it advantageous to organize sensory information. Has anyone ever come back from a near-death experience with a change in their in their physiology? For example, somebody goes into a near-death experience with poor eyesight. Do they? Has anybody ever come back with perfect eyesight? I've never come across any such cases. Hmm. I've come across of, of, a, of a few cases in which people with poor eyesight would have a near-death experience and report that their vision was much clearer than it was um, even with their glasses on. Really? But I haven't come across cases in which people have reported that, uh, no, uh, they've been cured of poor eyesight. Or any other physiological ailment? No, I haven't, actually. Hmm. Chris, stand by. Congratulations on a great book, Exo Nation. Chris Carter is our special guest. He's the author of Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death. Once again, for more information on Chris, visit his website at www.scienceandtheneardeathexperience. That's www.scienceandtheneardeathexperience.com. And Chris and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Send an email to exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, you can always chat with us here in our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, TV at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. 
In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Exonation, Chris Carter is our special guest. Uh, Chris's new book is entitled Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death. And his website is www.scienceandtheneardeathexperience.com. Chris, after writing two books, uh, why, do you think, why do you think skeptics still persist in trying to foobar the paranormal near-death experiences, ufology, why is it so hard for them to ex- accept that there may be things that they cannot understand, and just because they can't understand it doesn't mean it's not real? Well, um, as I said earlier, um, this, is, this is peculiar. These skeptics, these so-called skeptics mm-hmm. and deniers and debunkers are peculiar to the West, and it's basically because of... Uh, historical conflict between religion and religion and uh, secular society in the West. To some extent, I mean, this conflict is still going on. Um, remember, most of these deniers and phony skeptics are militant atheists. Mm. So they've got an ideological agenda, which they're trying to promote, basically anti-religion. And as I said earlier, um, one of the main pillars of their opposition to religion and superstition is the doctrine of materialism the idea that uh, all events have a physical cause and that therefore the brain produces the mind. Um, so, you know, as I said earlier, if they conceded the near-death experience as a genuine separation of mind from body, then materialism, this pillar of their mm-hmm. opposition to religion and superstition, would crumble. And so hence their dogmatic denial of any evidence that proves materialism false. Chris, where can our listeners get copies of your new book, Science and the Near-Death Experience? Well, several leading bookstores have it. Um, If they like, they can buy it online at uh, Amazon.com. Once again, Chris, always great talking to you. Um, When's the next book coming out? Well, not really sure. Maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. Well, listen, uh, do us a favor. The next time your uh, book comes out, come back and see us. It's a great pleasure talking to you. And... What, what would you like to leave the Exo Nation with tonight when it comes to near-death experience? We've got to have about 30 seconds. Huh. 
Well, um, I guess just as I said earlier, the near-death experience transforms people, and it transforms people for the better, making them more open-minded, uh, more compassionate, less competitive, and uh, above all, um, they're, most of them are utterly convinced in the evidence of uh, life after this one. Once again, Chris, thanks very much for joining us. Continued success, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the Exxon. Thank you, Rob. Take care of yourself, Chris. Bye-bye now. Chris Carter has been my guest this hour, Exxon Nation. His new book, Science and the Near-Death Experience, How Consciousness Survives Death. His website is www.scienceandtheneardeathexperience.com. And I'd like to thank the good people at Inner Traditions for helping make this interview possible. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues. We're right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. We'll be back after the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour. Don't go away. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.